Amen. Well, it's good to be in God's house today, Amen. and it's good to have the, the privilege of hearing God's Word, of preaching God's Word, and I'm excited about what the Lord has for us uh, this evening, and have a little something we're going to show you a little bit later on, but when you, when you get saved, when you come start coming to church, when you start involving yourself in ministry, in, in, in church services, or in reading the Bible, sometimes it's easy to kind of get lost in the mix of things. Have you ever been in a situation where you didn't really know, you were kind of thrown in a situation and you didn't really know what to do in that situation? Especially if somebody, people are expecting you to perform or, or play or do something, but you legitimately didn't really know what to do. Uh, I remember when I was a teenager, I was living in the Arctic with my parents in the Northwest Territories. And our family, uh, my dad is a, an athlete. He loves all sports. He can, he can talk the talk of, uh, of any sports. And he annoys my mom when we're watching baseball because he, he's commentating the whole time. And he's saying, uh, oh, yeah, so-and-so's going to steal second. I just know it. And then steal second. And my dad will say, yeah, you know, he should have thrown him out of the game right there. That was a mistake. You know, he talks, and sometimes, you know, when somebody talks through a movie, you, just, you don't like it when they're spoiling it. Like, oh, I love this next part. The guy dies. He's great. <laughs> and stop. You know, you're ruining it for me. And uh, so I, that's kind of how I grew up in the sports environment. And I would say several times a week, we would go out in our, our front yard and in our, on our driveway, we had a basketball hoop. And we would play, we'd play basketball. But we wouldn't play traditional, you know, 5 on 5 basketball. We would just play, we would just make up our own games. Maybe horse, or if you don't know what that is, then just, just pretend you do a nod. We would play uh, different games. When we moved to the Arctic, I was about 15, 14 or 15 years old, uh, there was a coach of a basketball team up in the Arctic. And he was coaching all the natives up there. And my dad was like, oh, son, this is your chance to to play on a, a real team. Because I you know, was always homeschooled and uh, playing one-on-one -on -one is, is boring when you're playing against yourself. So my dad, he would put us on, he said, this is your chance to go on a team. And I said, oh, this is great. And I, I said, the only one problem, dad, you know, I've only really played like horse, which is, it's not basketball at all. It's just a game where you copy the other person's shot. And he said, no, you'll be fine. Just, you'll be fine. So they were having tryouts for their basketball team. And so they, they call me over and they say, all right, Tim. And I was supposed to scrimmage with the team. I was supposed to practice with the team. And so we're getting up at, uh, in line and the coach starts yelling out, plays. And I, I, don't, I don't know the plays. I haven't been practicing with the team. And he's calling a play out and everybody does this cool rotation. You know, they're doing this run around. Uh, the point guard runs over here and this guy runs over here. And I'm just <laughs> sitting there like, I don't know what play you're talking about. And, uh, and the coach comes up to me and he's like, I'm sorry. When I say this, you have to do this. He's like, these guys have been doing this for months now. So they don't think about it anymore. I said, okay. So I, they say, let's try it again. So he calls out the play. So I, I, I run over here. All right, that was good. He calls me over. He's like, Tim, you didn't do it right. I said, well, this is my first time. He said, well, you need to do it better. So we, we go back over here, and he calls the play again, and I, I run back over to this side, and he calls me back over. He says, Tim, you didn't, 
he didn't do it right again. Why don't you just sit out on this one? I was like, okay, that sounds good. <laughs> I'd rather sit out and watch you guys play. So they start playing some more, and then uh, he calls me in the game. He's like, okay, here we go. You're the, you're the point guard. And uh, we, we didn't really watch a lot of basketball. I, just, uh, we wa I was a baseball kid growing up. I was all about baseball. So I didn't know what a point guard was. And some of you don't know what a point guard is either. And so you're in the same boat as I was then. And so he gives me the ball. So I, I'm just, I'm kind of dribbling. I don't really know what to do. And everyone's going around. And the coach calls a timeout. He pulls me out of the game. And he talks to my dad after the game. And he says, your son, um, I haven't seen anybody play this bad, ever. And uh, my dad's like, but he didn't even play. He's like, because he doesn't know how to play basketball. He, he, he. You know, he could shoot the ball okay, he could, you can dribble okay, but he doesn't know the fundamentals of the game. And I remember going home that day, and I wasn't too upset because I didn't really know what was going on anyway, I was, and I was kind of sore too, you know. I didn't, uh, it didn't work out too much. And I remember going home that night thinking, you know, I know, I know the rules of basketball because I've, I've played with my dad, and he's taught me the basic rules. And I understand the basics of the game. you got to get the ball in the rim and uh, don't step out of bounds. I knew the basics, but there's so much more to that game than just knowing the basics. And no matter how good of a shooter I could have been or how good of a ball handler I may have been, if I never learned how to play the game properly with all the proper strategy and learn how to play with my teammates, I would have, no one would have picked me to play on their team because I didn't know, understand the game. And sometimes I fear in the Christian life, we're kind of like myself when we, we get saved and sometimes we, well, we kind of get thrown into a church setting and we get pushed to oh, join the choir here and uh, go here and I'll oh, serve here and we're kind of getting pushed around and we don't really know what we're doing sometimes and we kind of grow up in church and we're, we're a, little, a little bit lost. And you kind of learn as you go throughout life, you know, you learn the game. Now I, I know what a point guard is. I don't know what, I, I don't, I don't know really know what they do, but I know what it is. And I know uh, uh, little things here and there. You kind of pick things up. But what you need to be a successful basketball player or a Christian, what you need is what I would like to call a game plan. You need a game plan. You need to have a strategy on how you are going to, to be victorious. Are you going to win? Are you going to improve yourself? You need to have some kind of a biblical strategy to be a winning Christian, to live, in a, to live a winning Christian life. And if I could direct you in your Bible to Romans chapter 7. And we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2 soon. I have that on the screen there. We're going to come to that. But before we get there, if you could turn to Romans chapter 7. We're going to look at two verses, kind of compare them side by side here. But in Romans chapter 7, as we're turning there, I want us to consider tonight often our, our frustration or even disappointment in Christianity is that we don't get the game plan. We don't understand how it's supposed to be lived out daily. So we bully ourselves, we beat ourselves up when things don't go our way. We impose expectations upon ourselves that God doesn't even uh, expect even on himself. 
We, we live for years thinking we are failures, but in God's game plan, we're just normal Christians living out real Christianity. So let's look at what is God's game plan here. And the uh, first thing I want us to consider tonight is the grace plan. What is God's plan for us? Well, first we need to understand the grace plan. The God's plan and what grace really is. Now, I hope you're in Romans chapter 7 and verse 24. We're going to look at Romans chapter 7 verse 24. The Bible says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? So in Romans chapter 7 verse 24, Paul starts out by saying, O wretched man that I am. Now, if you were to turn to, and I'm just going to read it for you, but 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, this is another familiar verse you may be, you may be, uh, you may be familiar with. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. So Paul, on one end, says, Oh, wretched man that I am. And then over here, he says, I'm a new creature in Christ. Is Paul okay? Like, is, is there, there's that lack, this doesn't seem consistent here. Or on this, in this book, in Romans, he's a wretched man. But over here, he's a new creature in Christ. And something doesn't seem right here. There seems to be some kind of contradictions taking place. Was Paul confused about who he really was? Well, no, of course not. Paul simply knew the game plan. He understood the reality. You had to ask Paul... Which of these labels best defines you? Are, you? are you a wretched man or are you a new creature in Christ? What do you think he'd say? He'd say both. I'm equally a wretched man and I'm equally a new creature in Christ. So you could easily scratch your head and think, uh, I'm not following you. How can you be wretched and a new creature in Christ at the same time? He may say something like this. Well, I'm a sinner, a saint. I'm a wretched man. I'm a new creature. It's all true, and God accepts me absolutely as I am. As a wretched man, yet at the same time, I am a new creature in Christ. Then maybe you might say, well, what does God think about this? What does God think of you being a wretched man, yet you're also one of his children? You're a new creature in Christ. And Paul would probably look at you and say, well, grace. God's grace. That's the answer. God's unmerited, loving, undeserved grace. What is God's response to my wretchedness? Grace. How was I made a new creature in Christ? Grace. How was I made that new creature despite being that wretched person? It's, it's through God's grace. His grace is amazing, it's unlimited, it's inexhaustible, it's undeserved grace. Paul would look at you and give most of his, most answers in life. He would look at you and say, look, the answer to that question is also God's grace. The reason I'm here, the reason I exist, the reason I am the Apostle Paul is because of God's grace. Once I'm saved and undergoing the process of renewal, what does the daily walk look like practically? <clears throat> what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to think? How am I supposed to be the Christian that I'm supposed to be? 
And then we come to this verse that I think we've all, some of us are familiar with. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. The Bible says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. God intends to change you, both inside and out. He calls you to live differently than before you were saved. Before you knew Christ, before you were, maybe you were this wretched person only, before this happened, you weren't expected to live like Christ because you didn't know him. But when you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you've allowed him to come and reign in your heart and life. God expects you now to live differently than you once did. There's supposed to be a difference, a change. You may say, well, yeah, there's a change. I go to church now. Now, we're not talking about an outward change. Anybody could fake. Anybody, any guy could pretend to like a girl and do anything he can to get her. Oh, yeah, I'll go to church, and uh, I'll go soul winning, and I'll join the choir. I'll impress you. And then once the marriage happens, a few weeks, a few months into it, they drop all that stuff. They got the girl. It's happened before. We can, we, can, we can live a phony, a fake life, but when I'm talking about an external difference, although there should be an external difference as well, but God can also see the internal. And this is sometimes even we as Christians can't see. We even learn to fool ourselves into thinking we're doing okay. And we forget about this grace plan that God has given to us. It's all about his work in you, not your work for him. I'm going to explain that in a, little bit, in a little bit. It's a matter of obedient surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit. It's a matter of allowing the work of God, not attempting to force it with a clenched fist and, a, and gritted teeth. Simply put, God's plan for our life, first of all, starts with understanding grace and what it really means. Now, don't forget the grace plan. We're going to come back to it. But there's another plan that God has given to us. Not just the grace plan, but there's also a victory plan. Any sports team eventually wants to win. That's why they play. If you're not competitive, you don't really care if you win or lose, chances are the coaches are going to play you. He wants the, he wants the person that's going to give their heart out, that's going to dive in the stadium to catch that ball, who's going to give his all for the team. That's, that's the kind of player you want. We want, to, we want to win. We want to be, be victorious. Now, if I could have you turn now to our, our theme passage here, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. As you're turning there, it's easy to start trying to live for Jesus rather than living in Jesus. This may not make sense right now. But in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12, the Bible says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Look at verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good now, I'm going to say this, and you may not 
may not make sense right now, but I hope it will by the end. It's easy to start trying to live for Jesus rather than living in Jesus. And this is a mistake a lot of Christians make, is we live our lives trying to live for him instead of letting him live through us. And there's a big difference, and I'm going to explain. God teaches us in verse 13 that his work within produces two things. It produces the will and the ability to obey. Look in verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. When God is working through you, now not only do you have the will to serve him, but now you have the ability to obey him. It's hard sometimes to get someone to obey you when they're supposed to. When you have a, a child and you're trying to get them to obey you, they don't, when they don't want to obey you, they don't want to obey you. You can discipline them. You can take away their ice cream. You can do what you can. And sometimes it's a process of time, a long stretch of time. I hope it ends. Eventually, they learn obey, obedience. And we are just like children in some cases when it comes to God. Now, the will is my inner desire. And to do is the ability to act and behave God's way. The easiest thing to do in the Christian life is to get off of the grace path and to get onto the works path. Let me explain. Now, we know that we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. We understand that. I, I pray we do. So you could do all the good that you want in life, and that will never get you to heaven. But it's until you accept the grace of God upon your life, only then can you start seeing and reaping the benefits of living in the family of God. So works does nothing, but yet for some reason, once we get saved, we go back to the works. We go back to works, and we leave grace behind. We, we're saved by grace, and thank you, God, for saving me. I'm, I'm nothing without you. I, I'm a sinner. I'm a lowly sinner. Uh, thank you for saving me. We get saved, and then once we... And then we take a step past grace, and then we, we go right back to works again. We start living our lives for God instead of letting God live through us. We start doing things in our own effort to try to please God. We almost treat Christianity like a religion. When you, when you get caught up in other religions or cults, things like the Jehovah Witnesses or the Mormons or even Catholicism, where it's, the religion is kind of like a ladder. And in order to get to God, you have to do, you have to, you have to keep climbing the ladder. You have to keep doing good and doing good. And when you slip and sin and fall, you fall down the ladder and you got to keep doing good. And hopefully by the time you die, you're high enough that God can reach down and grab you and take you up to heaven. That's kind of religion. And when you get saved, we all, we all, for some reason we go back to the religious ladder and we start trying to please God. Please God. Oh, please, Lord, don't, don't punish me. Oh, Lord, I'll try to do good. Lord, if I just come to church at least once a week, then uh, you know, you'll bless my life, you'll bless my job, you'll bless my family. And we, we try to do good things for God instead of doing things because we love God. It's easy to start worshiping good works more than worshiping Jesus, the author and the source of the good works. It's easy to try to please him in self-effort rather than yield to him in self-abandonment easy to try to do right in my own strength and flesh. 
But what, what happens is our self-dependence, we, we learn to have self-dependence instead of Jesus' dependence. We learn to self-glory instead of glory in God. We learn sinful habits instead of holy habits. We learn fleshly habits instead of faithful habits. It's all about me now instead of Jesus. It's all about what I can do for you instead of what you can do through me, how you can use me. We want to be a good Christian, a, a Christian that's useful for God. Then we have to learn to let go and do nothing and let him do the leading. Let him do the guiding. Let him get 100% of the credit. Learning to kill my self-dependence is a work only God can do. Through patience, purging, and chastising, he walks with us every day, dealing with us and his children. And learning this aspect of living for Jesus. So there's two aspects of this victory plan. Living for Jesus is a mistake, oftentimes. Now, you've used this term before, you're not a sinner, okay? Obviously, uh, you know, we want to live our lives for Jesus. But looking deeper into what that, re what that means, and if we're not careful, our concept of living for Jesus could actually hinder us from being the Christian that we're supposed to be. Everything I do and all my works are for God. And now everything's pushed on ourselves. Lord, look at all the things that I can do for you. Look what, what I'm capable of. Look at all the money I gave for offering and all the money I promised to give for faith promise and the, all the time I give for soul winning. And we try to do all these things in hopes that God will just pour his blessings out on us. And he will. If we're faithful to him, he will bless us. But if our motives aren't in the right situation, aren't in the right place, now we're living to, we're serving God to gain. It's not... It's like we're giving, hoping to return. There's no real love in the picture. It's just kind of a buddy-buddy a system, Lord. As long as you keep giving me blessings, I'll keep serving you. And the love kind of disintegrates in our Christian life, and it turns into almost a works-based works life, a works-based religion that we've turned to. This will only end in a spiritually dead road. But rather, instead of living for Jesus, we should learn to be living in Jesus. Or you can say, Jesus living in you. If you could turn to one more verse for me tonight. One more verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Wait, one more verse? Yes, one more verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Hope I'm not losing anybody tonight. Come for a deep message today, Pastor Tim. Just only some slideshows and we'll be good. But no, we need to understand tonight that we come before God and it's easy to, to, get to, to live the life that we used to live, only we don't realize that we're living it selfishly. We don't realize we're living our life for ourselves, even though we go to church. You can still come to church and go soul winning and, and go to activities and you can participate in ministry and still be doing it with the wrong motives. It's very important that we understand where our heart is through all this. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5. The Bible says, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. 
wow. That, I had to read that three or four times to really understand that. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. There is nothing sufficient within you. There is nothing good in you. It's not very encouraging, is it? <laughs> There's nothing good about you. Anything good about you is because God is working through you. God is the essence. He is the meaning of good. He is the meaning of righteousness, of holiness. We are, in one sense, the absence of it. We are, sin is the absence of God. And we, by human nature, have a sin nature. So by our, our nature, we are absent from God, which is why the only way we can get close to God is to give up and let him do all the work through us. Because we don't have it within ourselves. There's nothing sufficient of ourselves. And we shouldn't think anything of ourselves. Man, pride is such a difficult thing to overcome. Because once pride starts creeping in, once you start thinking you're okay, the devil's got you. As a Christian, once you start thinking, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good as a Christian. I take my family to church. Uh, we, um, I have a ministry, and uh, I, I spend lots of hours at church sometimes when I need to, and this and that. And it's easy for us to reach a spot where we think we're okay. And guess what happens when that, when that takes place? Do you start growing or do you start, de you start decreasing? If you start thinking you're okay, chances are you're not going to keep growing closer to God. You're going to start plunging downward. And once that sufficiency, once you think you're in a place, and you may not mean to, you may not want that, but it happens. We need to be careful that we're not living for Jesus, but living in Jesus. Or letting Jesus live in you. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. We need to learn to yield in total surrender to God, realizing his spirit will transform me if I will submit to him. We're living in a world today that teaches the complete opposite of what I just read. We're living in a world today that's saying, oh, be the inner you. I'm not sure what that means. You know, be, be yourself. They're, they're teaching uh, self-esteem. And we do need self-esteem. We don't need to always, don't tear each other down. Uh, when you read the Bible sometimes, you feel like you get beat down a lot. Okay, I know I'm nothing. I know I'm a sinner, Lord. And we do need some encouraging from time to time. But we live in a world today where they're saying, don't listen to everybody else. Do what you want to do. Live your dream. Be what you want to do. Do what you want to do. Don't let anybody else tell you what you should do. You find what's happy and you go for it. You be that. You find that job that makes you happy. You're going you're gonna to die looking for it. You're never going to find that perfect job that's where you're just going to love every minute of it, every waking minute. Ah, the ER. I just can't wait. You're never going to find it. You're never going to... And because true happiness, true joy, it's not out there. You, you can look all you want, but true joy is found in God's Word. It's found in the Bible. You may say, well, I see a lot of Christians struggling and suffering and from time to time. But you understand today that the way to get through that is through Jesus Christ. And Christ, from time to time, gives us trials and temptations. But you can, the Bible says you can go through those with joy, with a smile on your face. Learning to live in Jesus, it's a, it's a daily process that you're going to be continually doing for the rest of your life. You're never going to reach a point where you go, 
I've completely surrendered to God. Whew, everything's good now. It's a daily process. You have to daily surrender. Nobody likes to surrender. When you're playing in a sport, you don't want to quit. I can't stand sports that tie. I just, I mean, maybe it's just me, but I like a sport where there's a victor in the end. Or, you know, like uh, kids now, they play sports and, oh, uh, we're not actually keeping score. Everyone's a winner here. <laughs> no, I, I, need, I need a winner. I need the competition. And nobody likes to give up, to admit that you failed. And it's one thing to lose, but it's another to surrender. To say, you win. I lose. You're better than me. I'm worse than you. That's, it's hard. I remember... Growing up, even uh, with my uncle, he was uh, into uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He was into it for a while. He'd say, Tim, come over here. Let me practice on you. you know, and he'd throw me against the wall and throw me on the floor. And I tried to learn. I tried to get, and I didn't like losing to him. And he'd get me on the floor, and he'd have my arm in a, you know, this great position. And he'd be lifting up. He'd say, okay, say surrender. Uh, I'm not going to do it. Say, ah, say surrender. No. I'm like, you're not going to break my arm because I'm your nephew. You break my arm, ah, and you keep pulling up and pulling up, and eventually he'd give up, or I'd give up, one of the two. But nobody likes to lose, to surrender, to just quit and walk away. When you're playing chess, you don't want to tip your king over and say, all right, you got me, you win. It's against our nature. And God is telling us to go against our nature. He's looking at us, he's saying, I want you to hold up the white flag. I want you to quit. I want you to give up. Because I can't do anything until you quit, until you get off the throne of your heart, until you give me access, until you give me the keys to, your, to the door of your heart and you let me in whenever I please. I need that access. I need to live in you and you in me. We need a plan to win. This is how it's done. We need to understand the grace plan. We need to understand the victory plan. And we need to understand this last plan here, which is, this is the game plan. This is how we win. This is, this is the, the response to victory right here. You see, independence says, Jesus, look at how mature I've become. I must really be good in your eyes. But this magnifies myself. But dependence says, Jesus, without you, I can do nothing. I need you to live through me, in me, and in spite of me. Dependence magnifies Jesus. When we live an independent life, and I'm talking spiritually now, God can't use us. But when we give up and surrender, only then can he use us. So, what is his game plan? Well, let me tell you, his game plan is very, very, very simple. First of all, love Jesus. Okay, well, don't need to write that down. <laughs> I knew that one already. Love Jesus. Uh, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible. I knew that one. You remember the story of Peter when Jesus looked at him and said, uh, you're going to deny me one day? You're going to deny me. You're going to deny that you even know who I am. Peter says, ha, yeah, right. Me? Not going to happen. And then the time came. Jesus was standing before, and people looked at Peter and said, hey, weren't you, uh, we just crucified Jesus. Aren't you, weren't you with him? We know the story. Peter says, 
I know you're talking about. Who's Jesus? Denied him three times. When Jesus died and he rose back from the dead, we see later on Jesus is on the shore. Peter comes up from the boat onto the shore and Jesus looks at Peter and says, in Luke chapter 22, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Later on that chapter, he looked at Peter and he said, Peter, lovest thou me more than these? Peter says, oh yeah, of course, Lord. Yes, I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. The only thing Jesus was interested in was where was Peter's love? Where was his love? Jesus knew he was going to deny him. He knew there was, he, he knew he'd messed up. He knew he had, he had sinned, but Jesus wasn't concerned about the sin. He just wanted to know, Peter, where is your heart? Where is your love for me? The greatest thing you can do as a Christian is love Jesus. That's the greatest thing you can do. There's only one thing you can do for God. It's love him. When you get married, that's all your spouse asks of you. Just love me. Because when you love somebody, you'll do everything for them. You won't think bad thoughts. You won't think of how to get around this or how I can do this or I can sneak around here or I can get away with this or I can get more of this. When you love somebody, you don't care what you get in return. You do it because you love them. And if love was the only thing we could have, then we, this world would be such a different place. We actually loved Jesus. We actually truly loved him with all our heart and soul. We wouldn't be finding excuses why we can't come to church when the doors are open. Why we can't come soul winning when we're able to. We, could, we wouldn't find excuses for this and that. And we look at this and say, love Jesus? Wow, you, can you get any more simple than this? The reason it's up here because the majority of Christians don't really love Jesus like they should. So I ask you today, do you love Jesus? Imagine if a husband or wife only focused on mastering the good behaviors. If a husband exhausted himself in service to his wife. He didn't really love his wife, but he, he, he wanted to, but he, he behaved good around her. He, he constantly... Uh, did laundry. He exhausted himself cleaning the house and making sure the car was in shape, but it wasn't driven by love. She would have a servant, not a husband. The husband wasn't, the love wasn't there, but he was constantly trying to do things for her and trying to keep the marriage together, but there was no real love there. It's not going to last. It's going to fade away. It's going to perish. God isn't looking for a servant. He's looking for a son looking for a daughter. He's looking for somebody who will love. Love motivates behaviors that produce health. That's why Jesus called a hard-working church in Revelations. He, called, he tried to call them back to him. Revelations 2, he said, Nevertheless, I have someone against you because I was left thy first love. Love is the most important. Uh, and, mo and the first thing we as Christians need to understand is we must love God. Remember that real... Christianity is not a have-to life. It's a want-to life. And that's where we come back to living in Jesus or living for Jesus. Living for him is that I have-to life. Well, I go to church because, you know, if I don't, uh, I'm not going to get the blessings. So I go to church. I do my stuff. I do what I need to do. 
But it's easy to at first do it with love, and then over time, that love turns into duty. We, we, we lost our first love. But Christianity should not be a have to, it should be a want to. Maybe you have a friend that comes by, maybe when you're younger, hey, you want to hang out? Ah, you know, I just uh, busy. I didn't tell you what day it was. <laughs> I rest assured, I'm gonna be busy on that day. You know, I'm just it's not gonna it's not gonna work out. But it's uh, you know, it's 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 uh, in between church services. You're not doing. Yeah, you know, it's funny you'd say that. I actually have something came up just now. I think. Let me check my phone. Yeah, yeah I do. You know, and uh, oh, and then finally after pesting you, all right, yeah, okay, yeah. Well, let's let's hang out. Sure. Hope okay, he won't ask me for a couple months after that. That's not obviously. There's no love there. You know, you're just that's kind of a. I, I feel obligated. I, I kind of have to hang out with you. And if I do it, maybe you'll 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 stay away for a little while. But we treat God like that sometimes. Oh, I'll just uh, you know I'll, I'll go swimming once and then get a, get off my back for a couple weeks, a couple months, and then. Uh, uh, oh yeah, I'll I'll uh, I'll, te- I'll, you know, I'll help in the ministry a couple times here, and then I'll take some more time off. That's not a relationship. Do you love God tonight? Do you walk with Jesus? There's only three three things to this plan. There's only one more after this: love God, or love Jesus. Secondly, walk with Jesus. What's the game plan? How do we how do we progress in the Christian life? How do we get from how, how do we how do we live the Christian life that we're, the way we're supposed to? Not a fake, not a phony like we see around. But do you love Jesus? Do you walk with him? I like how it doesn't say stand with Jesus, but it says walk with him. It's a motion. It's an action. It's a continual progression forward. You're walking with him. It's a daily process. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. Because I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Our relationship only exists if we continue, continually walk with God. Relationships are made stronger through time. Time should only strengthen relationships, not break them apart. Some people say long distance relationships don't work. Well, it's not based on if it's depending on what you're basing it on. If you're basing it on distance, that does have a hindrance, and there is complications there. But time, no matter where you are, time only strengthens true relationships. Weak ones will break apart. But time won't matter. And when it comes to Christ daily, we should be growing ourselves closer and closer to Him. Christianity is an intimate, loving relationship with Jesus. The more time you spend with him, the more time you will love him. The more time you love him, the more time you will yield to his grace and goodness. The more time you yield, the more he will change you. Your heart will change, your love will grow, and your behavior will follow. After five or ten years of loving and walking with Jesus, you will be a different person, all because of his grace, because of the grace plan. It will sneak up on you. You won't sense it or feel it. It'll be able to measure it. But years later, the change will be undeniably evident. You won't see its progression, but 10 years down the road, you'll look back and go, whoa, I used to do that? <laughs> I used to be like that? I used to get away like that? And you won't see your strength growing, but it should and it will. Five years ago, if you've been saved longer than that, 
Maybe you've only been saved for a few months. Look back to that day and look back now. Are you different? Is there a change? Are you the same? Have you been growing? And last step here, depend upon Jesus. Love Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Depend on Jesus. Pretty simple. Not too hard. But in reality, it is. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what do we do as a Christian? What's our game plan? Our game plan is simply to love Jesus, to walk with Jesus, and to depend on Jesus. Is there more to it? Well, of course, there's more. There's, there's, there's a lot more to learn as we progress through the Christian life, but ultimately it boils down to those three simple truths. Love, walk. Depend on Jesus. Stay in love with Jesus. Keep walking with him. Keep renewing your dependence and yielding to him daily. He will take care of the rest. Jesus is perfect, and we aren't. We have a lot to grow, a lot to work in. But if we can keep these three things in mind, for it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. So keep loving Jesus. Keep walking with Jesus. And keep depending upon Jesus and let him do the rest. Let's pray.